Welcome to the Association Advisor Podcast. I'm Kelly Clark. And I'm Katie Brown. Does your association have a red thread? Do you know what it is? We spoke with Tamsin Webster, a global keynote speaker who works with organizations large and small about how to get their big ideas to have the impact they deserve. The red thread is the connection between a question and the answer. It's how you tell your story and how you get others to care about it. For associations, this could mean how you get members to join and how you want them to engage with your association once they've joined. Weaving your red thread is about doing the work to know where your members are, to build their case for joining and staying involved, and for creating a sense of pride in being a member of your association and industry. Tamsin taught us that people want to believe they're smart, capable, and good. Sharing your association's information, as well as information that will advance your association's causes, might sometimes run up against beliefs that they hold close. But there's a way to overcome misconceptions or misinformation while still respecting others who disagree with your association. You'll want to listen to how she explains letting others have your way when it comes to disagreements and opposing viewpoints. We're excited to share our conversation with Hanson, but first, a message about association advisors. Association Advisor is a newsletter, website, magazine, and podcast that reaches more than 13,000 association professionals each month. Place your business's message and branding next to features about technology, leadership, events, communication, and more. Half of our audience manages an annual budget of $250,000 or higher. They'll see or hear your business as they refer to the advisor for reliable features about what's happening now and next in the association community. Your business belongs in this community too. Go to bit.ly forward slash advisor media kit for more information. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash advisor media kit. Welcome, Tansen. Thank you for being with us today. I'm delighted. Thanks for having me. Tell us, what is the red thread and how does it help change the way people see others' ideas? The red thread is the connection between a question you wanted answered in the world and your answer for it. So it's essentially the case that you make for your ideas, your products and services. It's another way to think of it is your worldview. So it's what gives rise to your brand. It's what gives rise to all of that. But ultimately, it's this connection between what you see out there that needs to get solved and how you decide to solve it. How should an association start finding its own red thread? Or if we put this another way, what are some first steps an association communicator should take for shaping their organization's story? Well, I, I like to think of it in terms of first place is you have to really understand who it is that you're talking to. And for associations, obviously, they're talking to their members but they or potential members. Sure. Um, and I think it's really understanding, important to understand what kind of person is most likely to be receptive to that message. So when I'm working with companies on this, the first thing we always figure out is what what is it that you want to have happen? What are the outcomes that right. you're looking for from a particular message or from a market platform or campaign or whatever it might be? Second thing is who is that campaign actually designed for? And I don't just mean demographics and psychographics. I mean, really understand what questions are they asking right now? What values do they have that you also share? What do you struggle with? Right. What are they struggling with that you can actually, you know, as an association, help them solve? 
I think a lot of times we try to create, even in associations, one-size-fits-all messaging, right. and it doesn't work. Right. Uh, not everybody's going to become part of your association. You may want them to, but even if they're a perfect match on paper, there are certain people who just don't believe in that. You know, I'm part of an association myself, National Speakers Association, uh, and there are, I think, somewhere between three and 4,000 members, and yet there's something like 70 or 80,000 professional speakers in huh. the country. Right. So not everybody who does the thing that your association is about is the kind of person who believes in association. And so sometimes it's really important to start there. Who are you looking, who are you, what do you want to have happen? Who are you talking to? And then once you have those two, it's a lot easier to start to figure out what's the message that's going to achieve that outcome with those people. Okay. I get that. Yeah. What now you do this for a living, helping, you know, individuals, organizations figure this out. What if an association doesn't know what that idea is? How do you dig in to figure it out to even just kind of get started? Sometimes the getting started is the absolute most difficult part. Absolutely. <laughs> and and frankly, that's part of why I came up with this process in the first place. Yeah. Uh, it was a way to essentially reverse engineer my own brain. I've been in brand and message strategy for 20 years, and it's one of those things where you kind of forget at what point you it becomes second nature to, to do certain things, but not everybody either wants to do that or has been trained that way or gets to that point. So really the first step is thinking about that audience. Really the very first step is something I, I call establishing the goal. And that's not your goal, that's their goal. What question are they mm -hmm. asking right now in their words that you, your organization has an answer for? Because we have to start with where they are. Because if we don't understand where they are, we don't really understand how to pivot a message in a way that's gonna make sense. So remember I said that the, the red thread is the connection between a question and an answer. And a lot of times when we're putting messages out there, we really wanna build our case for what we're doing. Like an association wants to build its case. Here are all the great reasons why you should be you know, a member of the association. Uh, the problem is that that's not how people decide. So I really look at it as we need to build their case for your idea, your case, their case for your association. And that starts with what does it get me that I want? Right. Because what they don't want is another membership. That's not what they're looking for. Right. Um, they're looking for something else. So the very first step is to really look for that audience goal, uh, that prospective member or current member's goal. What question are they asking right now that the association can help them solve? Okay. In addition to spending your career in marketing, public speaking, and as a TEDx producer, which I'm highly impressed by. <laughs> I love watching TEDx videos. You've also worked as a Weight Watchers leader. Yes. What lessons did that experience teach you, and do you still draw upon those lessons today? Absolutely. I, I, I mention it in some way in every talk, and it comes up all the time. Um, I think that one of the most important things, just to build on what we just talked about, is that um, people won't act in a way that's inconsistent with how they see themselves currently. And and what I mean by that is, you know, when I was a Weight Watcher leader, um, and again, this is an endorsement of Weight Watchers, just kind of an observation of what it takes to create a long-term sustained change in thinking, right. which is what gets someone to become a member of an association or buy a product without remorse, like right. or sustain something like Weight Watch. Um, what I saw was something that was really interesting. So there's a lot of reasons why people do or don't lose and maintain weight successfully. But there was a very interesting through line or red thread, if you will, sure. uh, of the people who were successful. And that was the people who tended to be successful were people who wanted to lose weight because they believed that they were already, and I sum it up this way, smart, capable, and good. 
that they were, you know, that they were like, I'm happy with myself. Like, I love, you know, I, I think I'm an awesome person. Like, for whatever reason, right. my outside doesn't match my inside. And so all the activities of losing weight were consistent with that. It validated what they wanted, believed it, validated how they saw themselves. And so they tended to be more successful. Not always, but tended to be more successful. Now, so you mean all the activities that one needs to do to lose weight and keep it off, yeah. exercising, eating right, Absolutely. they were okay with that because they said, this plays into how I see myself Correct. and right. I'm just waiting for my body to catch up to that. Correct. Absolutely. Okay. And, and counterintuitively, the people who struggled, it was kind of the opposite of that. And, and you know, they still wanted to lose weight. Absolutely. absolutely. But the belief was, yeah, I, I describe it this way, that they believed that they would become smart, capable and good when they lost. Right. Weight. Right. So that, that, so what that meant was again, counterintuitively, it meant that all the activities associated with losing weight, like changing the way they ate would, will make me this will make me this. But it also meant that it makes what I think about myself right now wrong. Right. And that it's, it's kind of a mind blowing concept, yeah. but like, that's really what happened is just because it invalidated this kind of core identity of who, who they were, they tended to struggle. Now those people, if they could eventually shift that belief and start to kind of pull into other things that were like, actually, right. no, I am the kind of person that would do this. Then they would become successful right. by and large. It was that inconsistency that would be really difficult. Now I talk about that and the way it comes into messaging is because a lot of times we're asking people to want a thing that they don't want or to believe a thing they don't believe, or we are, and this is what I was talking about today here. Um, we are using, we're using you know, kind of this, uh, a form of mental pain in order to try to drive action from people. We're trying to say, you want this and you don't have it. Mm -hmm. um, you don't believe this, but you should. And if you don't, like all these things are gonna happen and you're gonna miss out or all this other stuff. So we're really activating this like extraordinary pain and how people think about things or fear. Yeah, right. um, and fear works in the short term. Totally. Pain works in the short term. But when you're trying to build a long-term relationship, like an association is typically, you don't want anything there to feel like they've got they got you know tricked or manipulated right. or anything in you know, order to say well this you know their brain is going to try to rationalize themselves out of a decision anyway so don't give them any reason to do that and this is why i say we need to build their case so if you can really think through you know what is it that they want that we can help them provide what is it that is really getting in their in their way like not with wanting to be a part of the association but really what's the what's what is the typical way that people are trying to solve it how's that not working why does that approach make sense because again we're not, not trying to make them wrong right. um and really just working with what they already want and believe to introduce new information or a new concept like hey become a member and in a way that's consistent with what they already believe that's interesting. I find that interesting because I think about my own marketing background and what I was quote unquote taught in school, mm -hmm. which was marketing is convincing someone to buy your product or service. When really I view marketing now is as a marketer, it's my job to connect the right customer or right person with the right product or service. If you're not the right fit, it's not good for either of us. Correct. Um, it's not organic. It's not useful. And so that's such a shift. And it's funny, my non-marketing friends are like, oh, you're such a marketer. You're trying to convince me. And I'm like, no, no, not at all. I see a real need for you here for this. And it's about crossing those distances to find the right person 
match them with the right, you know, yes. preach service. Yes. Uh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, because, I mean, this is, and I know this even with this message that I put out there. Right. So listen, if you're just looking for short-term action, that is fine. Right. Like, pain actually works really, really totally, well for that. Totally. So if that's all you need, and I mean this with all sincerity, use it. Yeah. But if you're really looking for a long term, right. then that pain is actually the reason why you've been struggling right. to get that kind of shift or to get people to sign up and stay signed up so that you're not, you don't right. have this constant churn in membership. Right. That needs to be something where you're constantly, where however you can, right. keeping them from rationalizing themselves out of the decision. Right. And, and you can't do that by by saying like, oh, I need to convince you because right. you might convince them for a little while. Right. Right. But they're, I, my, yeah. the funny example that I always use with this is, do you guys remember, I, I don't even know when this was, maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, the silly bands, mm -hmm. those were like a dollar and they came in this packet and they were these little bands that were in the shapes of animals or whatever. And you put it on and it was a bracelet and then you took it off and it was like an alligator or whatever. Okay. It lasted five minutes. But that person owns an island now because <laughs> every single person on the planet was wearing these silly band things. And it's like, it was a gimmick. Yeah. You know, someone buys it one time. That guy went off. There's some, they're living on an island somewhere. You know what I mean? But like, I can't, you couldn't find a silly band right now if you wanted to. Well, maybe on Amazon, but you know, but <laughs> Dollar you, story. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's kind of, I always think of that. Cause I'm like, that is such a short term gimmick, fear, and any fine. of that stuff. And if that's your business, that's your business. Right, like I right. Said, it really works but, really well. But in the associations world, who most of our listeners are, that is not going to work because mm -hmm. what you really want is the lifetime member. Absolutely. You want the person that is able to evolve their career and stick with you for the entire duration of, mm -hmm. of their career. So. And that's why it's so really important to understand, and I'm sure most of your listeners don't do this, but really understand kind of the different flavors of members and prospective members that you have out there. Right. Because you know, I know as, as an experienced speaker, for instance, at the, at the National Speakers Association, there really needs to be something for me as an experienced speaker. Like mm -hmm. if I were to go and all, if I would go to the annual convention and all the information were for people just starting out or how to build a speaking business or all of that just from the beginning, that's not going to be useful for me because right. you're not helping me solve a problem I have right now. Right. Um, you know, there's going to be people who are mid-career. They're looking for certain things and they need a different problem. And they, and this is, there's not going to be one message that fits all. Right. And so it's understanding that, I'm a little rage point here. I think we've been um, sold kind of a bill of goods in, in branding because I've, you know, I've been in branding for 20 years now and I've seen this and, and brand branders and you know, brand strategists. And I've been one, so I know um, we, you know, we're, we've convinced people that they have to have a cohesive brand. Right. And this is true, but the only people who, to, whom I believe need to understand that brand cohesively is the brand itself it is the association itself. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, just it's you know, think of it as that kind of classic parable of the elephant. Like the only person needs to understand how all the pieces of the elephant fit together is the brand, is the association. As long as the person who's looking for a tusk, like can grab onto a tusk and it's the best tusk that they're looking for, that's great. Right. You know, and eventually, because you know how it fits together, you can kind of move them and say, oh, hey, you have a tusk, like you, you want an ear too? Like, right. look, we got right. that. <laughs> and here's why those things make, make sense. Right. Um, and I just, I think that, you know, it's, I get it because it's a lot easier to say, can we just come up with like one brand positioning statement? A positioning statement is an internal document. It's an internal document and it shows up externally all the time. 
And it shouldn't because it's an internal reminder of how the elephant fits together. Mm -hmm. But what should be out there are messages that are really designed for specific audiences to achieve specific outcomes for them through you. And I think that's one of those places where we just, for good reason, we, we just tend to have missed that. Uh, you know, it's, right. it's easier to try to kind of do one big message, but it, it really doesn't serve long term. And that's what I'm really interested in. It really doesn't serve long term them or the organization well. I do think associations are getting better at the long-term marketing piece, though, and at the segmentation, the customization of that message totally. to different members. The most recent communications benchmarking study that our organization has done found that upwards of half of all associations are now customizing their content for young professionals oh, and student goodness. members yeah, because they realize that younger people are the future of associations. You know, at, at some point, your members are going to leave your association because they retire or maybe they change careers or other life circumstances happen that require them to take a step back. So you're always needing to recruit new members. But the numbers for customizing for mid-career or long-term career members, they're still in the teens. They're still kind of low, but associations are catching on. One of the way that they do a lot of marketing these days is content marketing. Mm. And content overall is a major part of membership value yeah. for associations and their members. What are some concepts you think every piece of association content should have in order to earn the attention mm. of its intended audience? Uh, I believe right off the bat that people, that that content needs to very clearly state in one form or another what it's going to help somebody achieve. So it's back to that goal statement I was talking about. Um, I, I think that, you know, if we're talking about a whole content strategy program, and I spent I spent a number of years in uh, an advertising agency building out content programs for folks, um, every piece of content can kind of atta attach to a different part of a message so that overall, taken all together, this stuff starts to make sense. Um, but every single piece of content needs to needs to have in it, either in its either in how it's titled or like very close up front, somebody reading and go, oh, right, this is something that I care about. And it needs to be framed oftentimes, I have of the opinion about in the language of the person who's reading. So it needs to be clearly like, how is it going to help me meet an unmet need? How is it going to help me achieve a goal? How is it going to help me solve a problem that I, that I have? Now, absolutely, when you're talking about a content strategy over time, there's certain times when you want to be introducing problems that people don't know they have or don't know they right. have yet. Yeah. And that's that's important. Um, but you still need to anchor it really, like let's say you title something like why you need to know about X you know, before Y happens. Great, that's not a question they're asking right now, but the why before Y happens should be the thing that they're worried about happening, right? Yeah. So you need to still attach it to something that they care about now. So I just, it really comes to me always like, what, what do the people that you're talking to, your prospective members, your current members, what do they want and believe? And as long as you've got elements of that in every piece of content, you're already going to be much, much stronger as establishing those long-term relationships and that perception of long-term value in the content you're putting out there. What are some aspects of content that will almost always turn people off? Yeah. The what are the no-no's? <laughs> you've mentioned fear. Yeah. And, and with a caveat that in the short term, fear can be a useful tool, but in the long term, probably no. Are there any others? The biggest one is making avoid? people feel wrong. Yeah. Like, I mean, oh, big, oh. making people feel wrong. Like, well, that, you know, anything that gets them totally to feel understand like, that. like oh, well, that, like, well, cannot would, believe you thought cannot that. Cannot believe you thought that. <laughs> who would do that? Um, because the thing is that some, some people are doing that and they, you know, and so 
Yeah, I get it. Sometimes people are wrong. Like I get that. <laughs> yeah. But our job as content marketers, as communicators, is to understand their perspective so well right. that we can describe it. We can un we can describe what they were doing, why they were doing it, what they tried, what the results were, so that they go, oh, okay, you actually do understand where I'm coming from. And it's really only at that point that they're willing to hear something new. Because they need to hear you know, that, that you get them. Right. You need to validate their feelings about that first right. before you can introduce something that they're wrong. So that they're, that says they're wrong or makes them feel wrong. Um, you well, get, they they want to be respected. Of course they you do. Know, they want to be smart, They're human beings good. just yep. like us or just like any other person. And I think it comes down to just respect. You know, yeah. Even if, as you said, they are wrong. <laughs> yeah, in our opinion, yes. It, but in their minds, they're right. Right, like, that's right. The important thing and so I think what you're saying about understanding their perspective, where they came from, what they've tried, what's worked for them, and then going, okay, well, have you considered this? Yeah. Yes. It's important. hundred percent. So I, I, I see it as a, it's a basic human need. It's actually really a driving need for people to be, they want to be smart, capable, and good. Right. And they believe yeah. they already are. And if they don't believe they already are, they want to be seen as smart, capable, and good. So it's still a good rule of thumb. So if you're doing anything that makes somebody feel not smart, not capable, or not good, it's almost guaranteed to get you a red light. It's almost guaranteed to get you a no. Yeah. For sure. I mean, Obviously, everyone's listening. They couldn't see us. But when you said, tell someone they're wrong, Kelly and I, like, reacted. Because <laughs> when you tell me I'm wrong, if I feel right, what I want to do is prove you wrong. Correct. And in marketing, the way I prove you wrong is go, well, you're not for me. Excellent. You're Absolutely. not it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, in the talk that I just gave, I tell the story that, I mean, some people may be familiar with it or not, but it's about a doctor named Ignaz Semmelweis. I won't tell the whole story now, but basically the, what I'm talking about is how with a, with the right answer, with something that would save hundreds of women, um, that the, the fellow doctors that he worked with uh, thought that he was wrong. Um, basically he was like, if we wash our hands, they won't die. And the doctors were like, what are you talking about? That's not how diseases spread. And it seems crazy that they would reject that. But we know now that like, that, you know, wa washing, washing does, is, like, does the spread of germs. Yeah. And in psychology, his name lives on in something called the Semmelweis reflex, which is that when, which is what happened, what they call it when someone rejects new information simply because it conflicts with what they believe to be true. Mm -hmm. huh. And so you, the thing is like, you have to start from the perspective of what somebody believes is true first. They have to understand that you get that and that you understand it or else they, they won't. And you're right, because if you tell someone they're wrong, it, it puts them on the defensive right. and they're just they're simply not open to any new information that you're going to put out there. Right. And with a personality type like mine, then I'm like, oh, no, no. I, not only am I not wrong. Now I have to prove to you that I'm not wrong. You yeah. just give me a second. I'll be right back yeah. and we'll, I'll, pr I'll prove myself right. Yeah. Exactly. That and it's and, and yet we do. And unintentionally, I think most of the time it's unintentionally. We do that all the time. Absolutely. Because we're so convinced that we're right. Absolutely. We're so convinced you know, right. we've got the right answer. And in marketing, we think we know. I, I know I've said this before, but we think we know. And so sometimes you come from the perspective of, I need to tell you all about why we're right or why we're good for you. And so much more of it is the listening and the taking in the information. Um, and to Kelly's point, I think that's been a huge shift in the association world. Mm. Um, I mean, in the past five, 10 years, there's been so much more surveying and feedback generation focus groups. And I think it's because for so long, associations were the original social network. Mm. And they thought they knew because, you know, we're the 
we're the authority. We're the blank industry. We're the trucking industry. We're the speaking association. And we know it. We are that association. And we push that as opposed to, wait, we have, you know, 5,000 members who can give us this real-time feedback. Mm -hmm. And we can hear you and then provide what it is that you need. So that's, I mean, that's a paradigm shift. That's a big, big change. So... Well, I, I mean, the way to think about it that I've, I find is very powerful for people is that when you're putting out messages, construct them in a way that lets them come to your conclusion. Right. Let hmm. others have your way. That's right. You, and, <laughs> and one of the most powerful ways to do that is to use their reasoning to validate Absolutely. yours, which is Absolutely. like, this is why you need to understand, like, where are they coming from? What are they struggling with? Right. What have they tried? What have they tried so far? Why did they try it? And again, it's not because they're stupid or that like, no. they, you know, and maybe they didn't know. It may be that that's what conventional wisdom said. It may be that, they, that there just weren't any other options out there. Right. If you can present that to them so that they essentially feel like, oh, okay, you get it. Yeah. Like, all right. And then you present something else that is consistent with what your research and your feedback tells you that they believe right. more often than not. They're like, oh, OK, yeah, you, I mean, you get me. You get me. Right. Yeah. And if you use their own reasoning, uh, then it's what ends up happening is that they they come to your conclusion. Mm-hmm. And and it, and it's and it's one that sticks. Right. You know? So, I mean, I use the oftentimes not today, but I often in another talk that I do, I, I, I use the example of De Beers diamonds <laughs> um, to really illustrate how this happens because engagement rings weren't common. Diamond engagement rings weren't common. So De Beers wanted people to buy more diamonds because they had the monopoly on diamonds. And so they're like, who buys jewelry reliably? People getting married. So if you think about this from the context of what's a question those people are asking, what's the what's their goal? You can frame it as a question, which is something I recommend my clients do. They were, you know, I would frame it for De Beers as saying, what's the best symbol of our impending commitment? Right. Like, what's the best symbol? And up until that point, the ring was the symbol, the kind of unbroken circle, the thing with no beginning and no end. Mm-hmm. And what they wanted to introduce a perspective that was consistent with that, but different, right? So they acknowledged that people see the ring. And what they wanted to kind of open the door to was that the kind of ring also matters so ring kind of ring now where this is the next piece where you know i call the next piece the truth but it's because it creates a moment of truth it creates a moment where you actually have to decide something where they they used people's own reasoning to validate theirs which was a diamond is forever. Yes. I did I not know it was that. I know. Oh, it's, been, I know. it's been around for a really That's long time. That's a long time. It's a long time. That's a very long time. And it's it. amazing to think about because it created this kind of permanent long-term change that we all just assume to be like what everybody does now. It's like, well, if you're going to get married, you buy a diamond. Or right. If you're trying to indicate foreverness, you buy a diamond. You got a sealed deal. That's with right. A ring. But in but, but in a 1947. Diamond specifically. Exactly. Diamond. But yeah. in 1947, that was not what happened. There, it's something that po- people believe to be true elsewhere. Right, it's a hard, one of the hardest surfaces, uh, uh, substances right. in the in the. It's very difficult to destroy a diamond, and so they didn't say a diamond ring means forever. They just said a diamond is forever, and then if you still want the best symbol of your commitment, and you also believe somewhere else that a diamond is forever, it becomes pretty impossible for you to ignore now the kind of ring. And so what happened was that created a permanent shift in thinking. It was not just to see the, the, the ring as the symbol, but to see the stone as the symbol of forever 
and therefore people bought more diamond rings. And yeah. so it's like this idea of like, but they never said buy a diamond. They just said right. a diamond is forever. And then right. everyone was like, well, okay, well, they're not going to say to each other, well, you know, honey, the uh, stats aren't good. So let's go with amethyst. Right. I mean, like, that's, right. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's like, well, we, we want the best symbol. We believe it's going to be forever. So we're going to buy the thing that now we associate with forever. And yeah. way to like then open up a whole new door of size and all oh, of gosh. the seas. Absolutely. And now yeah. here we are. And then whoever it was that was like, oh, I have an idea. We'll put three diamonds on it. The past, past the present, present our future. Yeah. yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah. Now we've hey, got three awesome diamonds. Yeah, every like, begins it, with, it, yeah. every so, child gets a diamond now. Every, yeah, right, like, every right, anniversary right. gets a diamond. Yeah, everything's forever. Um, yeah. But we can, we just, you can see that. Yeah. You can see kind of the more that you look for it, you can see it happening over and over again. Where, yeah. where you're like, oh. That's a good example. That's true. Like, because if you believe something to be true somewhere else, right. it actually shifts what you think. And there's fascinating research on this. So, um, uh, there was a study recently that, or kind of a combination of research studies that showed the, around climate change that both people who uh, did and didn't believe in human-caused climate change have very difficult time having productive conversations around it. So um, one of the things that they found was in both cases, what they would do is if they, if they established something that those people believed elsewhere and then brought them back to the climate change discussion, it softened things a bit. So, for instance, with people who didn't believe in human-caused climate change, they would ask them, do you believe that gravity is what causes things to fall to the ground? Yes. Do you believe yes. that germs and bacteria called, cause disease? Yes. Do you believe that it's possible that humans could cause climate change? And see, what happens is they've just said yes to two right. other mm -hmm. forms of science that they have completely in, in, incorporated. Probably. And while they didn't go, oh, my gosh, it, absolutely humans cause it, they moderated their position on it. And they huh. said, oh, actually, yeah, I believe that they, I want it's more information. It's possible. Yeah, it's yeah. possible. Some of it maybe. Yeah. And the same thing happened with people who are staunch environmentalists. They said, well, what they were presenting there was, again, very similar to what we're talking about. Is it possible that they're, that they're coming at it from this other direction? And once they realized that, it, that once they, like, oh, yeah, actually, it is possible they're coming from another direction, they also moderated at least the language that they're using right. and how they're approaching it. And suddenly we're on a much smaller scale of variation. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. it just it just helps. I mean, I obviously believe very strongly in this because I think, you know, not only from a marketing perspective, but from a change perspective through Weight Watchers, but also just what we're dealing with right now. Right. Uh, I, I think that it's definitely a good time for us to find ways to, to more easily find common ground. Absolutely. And since associations really stand for a collection of people who right. are working towards the same thing generally, who believe and value the same thing generally, mm -hmm. um, I just think it's a real opportunity to really for associations to rally people around what is it that that, that industry or that, that profession really stands for. Right, sure. And I think that's a real opportunity there. Do you offer any tools for associations to build or strengthen their story? Yeah, I mean, I think that the kind of steps of building that red thread, absolutely. So your listeners are welcome to go to tamsinwebster.com slash worksheet. Um, and there's our worksheet there on the red thread, and you can just see what those five steps are. I've talked about a couple of them, um, but really can start, start to work through that. Um, but that what that tool does, what kind of finding these pieces of the red thread does, is really walks people through that if I'm on one side and I'm starting with the question that my prospective member, member is asking, what are the mental steps that have to be there in order for that person to land at the answer that we have for them? And 
and what it's based on is really the structure of story. And I'm sure you've had other people talk about this as well, but we make sense of the world through story. You know, classic example is the author E.M. Forster, who, you know, his shortest story is like the king died and then the queen died. And your brain immediately starts going, what, wait, why? What happened like, to what them? happened to them? Like, why, like, did, what, what happened? Who, right? When? Who, when? <laughs> We're always looking for those answers. Right. And what happens with messages is because that's, it is absolutely part of how our brains make, sen make sense of things. If any pieces of that story are missing, we will, we will dismiss the message. Or if those pieces are out of order, we will dismiss the message. Or if the pieces don't, aren't consistent with what we believe to be true, we will dismiss the message. And so the, the process is really helping people walk through what are, the, what are these pieces of the standard mental story? Because they're known. We know what the pieces are. We, people need to know what people want. They need to know what's getting in the way. They need to know what's motivating them. And they need to know what they do as a result and how so that they can see, well, did that work? And so that's really what this tool does is kind of walk is a walk people through from you know, what question are people asking? What's a, a problem of perspective that's getting in the way? So it's not just like what's the barrier that you know about, but what's the barrier that you don't know about? That's the kind of ring kind of the ring kind of ring duality. Um, what's this truth, as I call it, like a right. diamond is forever that 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 creates this moment of truth, which is what happens in any story where that moment of truth forces a change where somebody can't go back to what they were thinking about before. What that change actually is, like what is it that you're asking people to do? Maybe it's become a member, but sometimes it's give back, right? Or sometimes right. it's advocate on behalf of, or something like that. Sure. And then what are the specific actions that you're asking people to take to do that? And so if you've got all those pieces and if you present them in that order, it's, it's one of the most efficient ways to make sure that you're transmitting an idea from your organizational association brain into the, the brains of your readers, members, et cetera. Cool. That's fantastic. That sounds like a good tool. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, again, tamsinwebster.com slash worksheet. You will not be automatically signed up for anything, I promise. Um, <laughs> and we will we will link that URL in the show notes. Super, so. yeah. um, and there's a, I've got a lot of like videos and stuff on my site as well that can help sure. kind of round out if they're running the questions as well. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you so much. We My appreciate pleasure. it. This yes. was so much fun. Thanks for talking with us today. I thought that was a great chat about storytelling. Tamsin is definitely a master of her craft. I don't know if you noticed this, but as we were discussing storytelling, the way she really drove home the message was by telling us a series of stories. It was so engaging. Yes, you're right. And I loved her story about De Beers and their A Diamond is Forever campaign, changing the way we think about diamonds and their purpose. Creating a story, and more importantly, a larger meaning around a product or idea, is one of the most powerful ways to make that product or idea stick in the minds of your audience. I think associations might want to review how the story of their mission has developed and how they might further develop it going forward through storytelling. Because associations are groups of people who generally work toward common ground, this is a great time for associations to rally people around what they stand for and to create a moment of truth that asks their members to strengthen or alter their perspective and rally behind that common mission. If you have an idea for our podcast, send us a note. You can reach us by email at associationadvisor at nameronline.com and our Twitter handle is at associadvisor. That's A-S-S-O-C, 
A-D-V-I-S-E-R. If you'd rather stay behind the scenes but want to know more about a certain topic, submit your ideas to us and we'll work your topic into our lineup. Our email address again is associationadvisor at naileronline.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.